Please be turning your Bibles back to the book of Jonah, uh, chapter 4, for just a few minutes together this evening. Jonah, chapter 4. I sure do have good memories of last Sunday evening and the watermelon and ice cream that Bertha and Kim provided for us. It's a sure thrill and delight to watch Ken eat ice cream. I believe Brother Ken and Brother Maynard have something in common. Brother, Brother Maynard used to talk about being on the rotation diet. He said everywhere he turned, he ate. <laughs> Brother Ken, you're kind of right down that alley, aren't you? We want to continue on the theme of being ministers of mercy this evening. This morning we looked at some positive examples of this sort of service. We remember Jesus going to the house of Matthew and assembling with several tax collectors and reaching out to them uh, with the gospel. We remember Jesus sending the man formerly possessed with a demon, sending him back to his home, back to his his friends and family members and telling them the great things that God had done for him and how God had showed such mercy to him. Several positive examples that help us to be ministers of mercy. Tonight, a negative example. We can learn from both positive and negative examples. This with Jonah is absolutely negative, but there's much we can learn about Ministry of mercy from the negative example of Jonah. So work with me on this for just a few minutes uh, together. Jonah chapter 4 is difficult to read in some ways. And you'll see why here as we, as we go into our thoughts together. Let's begin by noticing four ideals about Jonah. Plainly seen here. In Jonah uh, chapter 4. Let's first see Jonah's mindset. Jonah 4 verse 1. Notice his mindset. Notice it says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. His mindset. Now what is it that Jonah is so angry about? What is it that is displeasing Jonah to this extent? Well, just a little review, and you already know this answer. God had sent Jonah to Nineveh to preach to them, to warn them, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. But at first, Jonah refused, and he went the very opposite direction. He, went, he paid a fare, and he got on a boat and went toward a Tarshish. But God sent a storm on that sea, and it was so rough. And somehow or another it came to be found out that the cause of this storm was, in, was on Jonah himself. And Jonah told the other uh, sailors to toss him overboard. And they finally did. And when they did, the storm ceased. God also prepared a great sea creature to swallow Jonah up. And Jonah was in the belly of that great creature for three days and three nights. And then God spoke to that to that creature and had him spit 
Jonah out on dry land, and finally Jonah went to Nineveh and preached what God wanted to be preached there. That brings you down to chapter 3. And as Jonah preached, all the people in the land, from those in the highest position down, they repented of their evil ways. They turned from their evil ways. They put on sackcloth and covered themselves with ashes even to show their great remorse. And this is what displeased Jonah, that the people were turning from their evil ways and God was going to hold off on his destruction of Nineveh. So we're looking first here into the mindset of Jonah. It displeased him. He was angry about the fact that God was reaching out to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh is the capital city of Assyria. Jonah was from a Galilean city called Gath-hefer, 500 miles east of Jonah's home was Assyria. And Assyria constantly threatened the Israelites. And so there became, there came to be a tremendous friction between the Assyrians and the Israelites. And to make matters even more interesting, two prophets of the Old Testament, Hosea and Amos, they are contemporary with Jonah. And they would often predict that if Israel did not turn away from her evil ways, that one day Israel would find itself being captives in Assyria. One reference there is Hosea 11 verse 5. Just straight out says those very things. Hosea 11 verse 5. And so from one standpoint, you might look at Jonah's mindset and say, well, he's just being patriotic. He's just, he's just sticking to his own country. And you might even say well, any red-blooded Israelite, Israeli, would have felt the same way toward Nineveh and toward the Assyrians as Jonah felt. Jonah, though, he felt this way because he did not appreciate I started to say no God, but he knew God. He didn't appreciate the ways and the nature of God. Jonah wanted a religion that would be a national religion. He wanted his religion wrapped up in his, his country's own flag. When God had Jonah go and preach, according to Jonah 3, Verses 1 and 2, Jonah would go to Nineveh and say, Yet 40 days, those 40 days for Jonah could not come fast enough because he wanted Nineveh destroyed. He wanted the threat of the Assyrians to be, to be gone. You see, never has there been such a mass conversion in the history of God's people up to this time. So many turning from their evil ways and turning to the true God of heaven and earth. But never has there been such a sour response to it from one of God's prophets than what we see here with Jonah. 
So notice his mindset. Now, according to Romans uh, 2 and verse 4, the proper response to the goodness of God is supposed to be repentance. Notice Paul mentions in Romans 2 and verse 4, the kindness and the patience and the forbearance of God, the goodness of God. And he says that ought to lead an open-hearted person to repentance, to look closely at himself. In fact, what Paul's doing there is he's, he's warning us about presuming upon the kindness of God. Many do that. Many do not take seriously how that God expects us to grow and to become more holy and to become more pure and to become more and more like Him. They don't take that seriously. They just say, well, God is good. God is gracious. I don't have anything to worry about. I'm going to continue in my half-hearted ways. That happens now. It happened in Paul's day. Paul warns, do not presume upon the kindness of God because don't you know that the kindness, patience, and goodness of God is supposed to lead you to repentance. And the goodness of God being displayed here upon the Ninevites, upon the country of Assyria was supposed to bring joy, was supposed to bring goodness, was supposed to bring a sense of reverence from Jonah. Instead, it brought this, what we read here. It brought a very stubborn and prejudiced mindset. So notice, first of all, the mindset of Jonah. Secondly, notice his prayer. And yes, I do say prayer. Notice it in your Bible. Jonah 4, verse 2. It says, And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This prayer of Jonah is going to tell us the rest of the story. This prayer of Jonah is going to tell us the why of why he went to Tarshish at first Instead of Nineveh. So notice his prayer here. 4 verse 2. O Lord is not this what I said. When I was yet in my country. That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. He says. For I knew. See he knows the Lord. For I knew that you are a gracious God. And notice this. And merciful. Slow to anger. And abounding in steadfast love, and you will relent from the disaster that you promise a people. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. What a prayer. What a prayer. So notice first it tells the rest of the story. It tells us exactly, and Jonah's being very honest with us here, very honest with the Lord. He's saying this is exactly what... What I knew would happen. I knew, Lord, this is why I didn't want to go to Nineveh in the first place. I knew what you would do. I know your nature. You are gracious to people. When people turn from their evil ways, you will be, you will be, you will let go of your anger. You're just that loving. You have steadfast love. You have patience with people. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. And that's why I didn't want to go in the first place. What a prayer he prays. This gives us, this prayer gives us insight, more insight into the heart of Jonah, doesn't it? 
Notice what he says in prayer to God. Notice he says, I'd rather die than to face these circumstances. What circumstances? The fact that you would be reaching out to these people. I'd rather die. I'd rather die. Have you ever heard such in all your life? Especially from a prophet of God. This lets us know that if we're not careful, anybody, if we are not establishing within ourselves a merciful heart like God, if the love of God is not capturing our thoughts, then we will end up saying things that we would think we would never say. We will find ourselves lashing out at God and lashing out at good people as well. You see, Jesus tells us in Matthew 12 and 34 that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, and this is what's happening here. He's lashing out at God. God, I told you you were like this. I knew exactly what you would do. I knew it precisely what would happen if I went to Nineveh. So we see the mindset of Jonah. We also see the prayer of Jonah. And then in the third place here in Jonah 4, notice his actions. After this, Jonah will leave Nineveh, go to the east, into the hill country. And he'll find a place on top of a hill where he can overlook Nineveh to see what was going to happen. In his heart, most likely, Jonah still felt like Nineveh was going to be destroyed uh, by God. So he sits down on the hill to see what was going to happen. To protect himself from the sun, he builds a little lean-to out of branches, a little booth. And then there he, and there he is. This is such a contrast to the heart of God, isn't it? When you put together the mindset, the words, the mindset, the words, and now the actions of Jonah. Contrast this to Acts chapter 11 and verse 22 to 24. When the church in Jerusalem began to hear about some really good things happening in Antioch, who did they send down to Antioch. Well, as you remember, they sent Barnabas. And when Barnabas came, went to Antioch, he saw the grace of God in action. He saw people responding to the gospel. And when he saw this, it says he was glad. And further, he exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. Now that's the proper reaction. That's exactly what Jonah should have done with Nineveh. But look how far he is uh, from that. Also, Jonah's actions stand in contrast to God himself. When we read about God in the uh, story of the prodigal, Luke 15, 11 through uh, 32 or so. But you remember when the prodigal comes home, that the father notice him, notices him coming home. And he runs to him and falls upon his neck. Shows compassion to him. The prodigal says, Father, I'm no more worthy to be called, uh, to be called your son. Make me as one of your servants. But the father wasn't having anything to do with that. He said, bring forth a robe. Bring forth a ring. Bring forth some shoes. Go kill the fatty calf. We're going to celebrate this. My son was dead. And now he's alive. He was lost and now he is found. 
This is the type of reaction that Jonah should have had. Those who are ministers of mercy will have the same reaction as God in Luke 15, the same reaction as Barnabas in Acts uh, chapter 11. So notice Jonah's mindset, notice his prayer, notice his actions, but then also here in Jonah 4, notice his refusal to God. Incredibly, God reaches out to Jonah here, even after his prayer, even after his actions here, even after knowing his thoughts, God reaches out to Jonah. Notice how he does it. First, he brings up a, a wonderful shade tree plant and have, has it cover Jonah's little lean-to that he had built for himself. And so what Jonah had built was okay, but what God caused to come up in, in one night was super-duper. Notice here in Jonah 4, verse 6, that Jonah was very pleased with this shade, this extra shade that had been brought to him. But then next, God brings an attack worm. And the, the next morning, the, the attack worm destroys this shade plant that had been created for Jonah. And Jonah was very displeased about this. And then next, God sends a scorching east wind, a worse sort of heat than what Jonah was experiencing. And it, it beats down upon Jonah's head. He's about to faint. And he's in great despair. And then God continuing to reach out to Jonah. He asked him a question. He says, is it right for you to be angry about this plant being taken away? Jonah says, it is right for me to be angry about this, and I'm angered, I'm angered to the point of death. You see how hard it is to read this Jonah chapter 4? Here God is doing his best to, to reach out to this prophet, being very patient with him, trying to bring him back to the center, trying to bring him back to the fold. Jonah will have nothing to do with it. And then finally God uses a little logic with Jonah. He says, Jonah, you have cared for this plant which you did not create. You had no investment in this plant and the plant only lasted a, a day or so. But you've got great pity and care for this plant. And then further he says, is it not right, Jonah, that I would show pity and love for the people of Nineveh whom I have invested in. I created these people in all nations in my own image. Is it not right that I would do this? Jonah, isn't it the case that people are great more value than a plant that comes up in a day and the next day it's gone? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Notice God's attitude toward everybody he creates. I believe it just simply says, I won't even turn there. I think it just simply says, 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 9 and 10 says, God did not create us for wrath. Some, say, some translations have, God did not destine us for wrath. I think it's better the better translation there is, God did not create us for wrath, but he created us for salvation. 
And that is the mindset of the Lord toward every person on the face of this planet. He doesn't want anybody to perish. And he's trying to reason with Jonah. Jonah will have nothing to do with it. So I wanted us to first see these four ideals about Jonah. His mindset, his prayer, his actions, and then finally God's outreach to him. But Jonah, as far as we can tell, as far as we can tell, the book ends. We don't have to know the rest of the story of Jonah in order to learn the lessons. We don't know what happened with the rich young ruler. God challenged, Jesus challenged the rich, rich young ruler. You know, go sell all that you have. Give it to the poor. Take up your cross and follow me. He went away sad because he had great position. We don't know what happened after that. We don't have to know because we learned the lessons. We don't have to know the end of Jonah. It don't look good right here. We don't have to know the end of Jonah and his ways to learn the lessons. Now, for the remainder of our time, I want us to notice the lessons from this incident that will help us to be better ministers of mercy. The first lesson is this. What did Nineveh need? They, need, they needed the same thing that we all need. Because of our sin, they needed the mercy of God. God, Ephesians 2 verse 4, is said to be rich in mercy for the great love wherewith he loves us. This is the point where we examine ourselves and ask ourselves, how does it make, how does it make me feel? How does it make you feel? How does it make you feel when someone asks you to serve in the interest of souls? Does it make you mad? Or is it something thrilling? Is it, is it looked upon as a tremendous, tremendous opportunity? Is it something that you feel that would draw you close to the heart of God? What did Nineveh need? A second lesson is to remind ourselves of God's interest in every person. In every nation, God has an interest for all people. For all people. Even here, during a time of the Mosaic Age, a time of the system of of Moses. God is reaching out to these Gentile Assyrians. God has a heart for everyone. He does. It's always been that way. Jonah knew this about God and it angered him about this. Even at the time when God was using the Hebrew nation to eventually bring the promised seed, Jesus Christ, into the world, he's still reaching out to Nineveh and to the Ninevites and the Assyrians. Those, even to those who had made the stance to be enemies of God's uh, people, Israel. And then a third lesson for us, and this is, this is quite interesting. God's word is the vehicle for his grace. Jonah knew this. That's why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. Because he knew as he went and preached God's word, then that would be a vehicle in which the grace and the kindness and patience of God would be extended to these people. That's why he went the other way. We sing the song, don't we? Where sin has gone, 
must go his grace. The gospel is for all. Check with me in Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. Notice the teaching of Paul here real fast. Galatians 1 verse 6. Galatians 1 verse 6. Notice the wording here. Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ, and now you are turning to a different gospel. Notice that. They have been called to the grace of Jesus Christ. And they were deserting that because they were listening to and adhering to a different gospel. That clearly implies that what brought them to the grace of Jesus in the first place was the gospel of Jesus. In Titus chapter 2, 10 through 12, the apostle mentions the grace of Jesus which has appeared to all men. And it says there, teaching us, teaching us, notice that, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. You see, it's the gospel which is the vehicle that brings to the world the grace and kindness and mercy of God. And then a fourth lesson is to never underestimate as we seek to be ministers of mercy. Let's remember God's interest in all people. Let's remember that his gospel is the vehicle. But also... Let's never underestimate just how hard our heart can become. May we never underestimate just how insensitive we can become. And we see the example of Jonah. Look at this. In spite of direct communication with God, God's word. In spite of wonders from God, Jonah knew quite well that God was in control of nature. Jonah had seen God bring a storm, and he had seen God calm that storm. He had seen God speak to a sea creature to swallow him, and also to speak to that sea creature to spit him out. He had seen God bring up a shady plant, take it away by a worm. He'd seen God make it so hot he could faint. In spite of all these direct communications with God, all the wonders of God done right there in his very presence, look at the heart of Jonah. Jonah looks to God and says, Yes, it is right for me to be angry. It is right for me to be displeased with you, Lord. We just got to be really careful at how fast our heart can turn from God. And then as we are becoming more and more ministers of mercy, let's remember that all people are accountable to God. If you go back to the first chapter of Jonah, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, he tells God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh, that great city. It is the capital of all the Assyrians, you go to that great city and you cry against it for their wickedness has come up before me. Some of the most powerful, some of the most 
wealthy people in the world lived in Nineveh at that day. But every single one of them were, is, was, is accountable to God. It's the same way today. Even the superstars, even the people who seem to have no flaws, they seem to have it all going for, for them. Every single one of them will stand before God in judgment. They're all accountable to God. But what does that mean for us? It means we must be merciful like God, and do our best to reach out to, to anyone, whether, whether they be poor or rich, no matter what status in life they may be encountering at this time, we must be merciful. Another lesson that helps us to be ministers of mercy is to remember that people can change. And you notice that in Jonah chapter 3. These from the king down. People from all over sat in sackcloth and ashes. Listening to the word of God. Believing the word of God. And changing their ways. And then this also helps us to be ministers of mercy. And that is. Don't ever forget the call to repentance. The call was for them to repent. Not just to become aware of their evil. Not just to stop doing bad things and doing good things. But to repent. Which involves a sorrow of heart. Which involves a turning away from evil. Which involves a brand new commitment to God Almighty Himself. You see Jesus commenting on this situation in the days of Jonah. Matthew twelve forty one. He says, the people of Nineveh repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, a greater than Jonah is here. And that describes for us exactly what is meant by repentance. Repentance means to turn away from the evil because that's what they did. Jonah 3 verse 10, we read that God saw their works and that they turned away from their evil deeds and turned unto God. That's what repentance is. It's a work. It's a work. Is repentance necessary for salvation? Well, ask Jesus. Luke 13, 3, Jesus said, Except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. I believe it is necessary for salvation. So repentance is a work, and it's necessary for salvation. Therefore, God does expect, God has designed works of faith for us to do in order to be saved. Here's what concerns me. Have we laid down the sword of God? Are we still calling for people to repent? I wonder about that. When's the last time you did that? When's the last time you took the word of God and asked somebody to sit down with you and just ask them if their life is consistent with the word of God? And express to them that from what you can see, they're not living according to the word of God. And they need to change. Has the devil taken the teaching of repentance out of our laps? Has he taken it out of our hands? He's been working hard to do that. No matter what your view is on what has happened to this country over the last couple of years, I'm afraid that the devil has used it. 
to take away the ideal of repentance and of holiness and of purity toward God. We see before us that we need to be ministers, ministers of mercy. And these things that we have mentioned are certainly involved in being just that that God would have us to be. If you are subject to the Lord's invitation, we invite you home this evening. It's an invitation to all of us, no matter who we are. It starts with me and to all of us that we need to take a close look at our hearts, our mindset, and then take a close look at our prayer life, and then take a close look at our actions, and then take a close look and see how we are responding to God who is calling us to be his minister of mercy. If you're subject to the Lord's invitation this evening, please come as we stand right now and sing together.